Section 4 of State of the Union Addresses by United States Presidents, 1901 through 1908. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Theodore Roosevelt, December 3rd, 1901, Part 4. Our army is so small and so much scattered that it is very difficult to give the higher officers as well as the lower officers and the enlisted men, a chance to practice maneuvers in mass and on a comparatively large scale. In time of need, no amount of individual excellence would avail against the paralysis which would follow inability to work as a coherent whole under skillful and daring leadership. The Congress should provide means whereby it will be possible to have field exercises by at least a division of regulars, and if possible also a division of national guardsmen once a year these exercises might take the form of field maneuvers or if on the gulf coast or the pacific or atlantic seaboard or in the region of the great lakes the army corps when assembled could be marched from some inland point to some point on the water there embarked disembarked after a couple days journey at some other point and again march inland only by actual handling and providing for men in masses while they are marching, camping, embarking, and disembarking, will it be possible to train the higher officers to perform their duties well and smoothly. A great debt is owing from the public to the men of the Army and Navy. They should be so treated as to enable them to reach the highest point of efficiency, so that they may be able to respond instantly to any demand made upon them, to sustain the interests of the nation and the honor of the flag. The individual American enlisted man is probably on the whole a more formidable fighting man than the regular of any army. Every consideration should be shown him, and in return the highest standard of usefulness should be exacted from him. It is well worth while for the Congress to consider whether the pay of enlisted men upon second and subsequent enlistments should not be increased to correspond with the increased value of the veteran soldier. Much good has already come from the act reorganizing the army, passed early in the present year. The three prime reforms, all of them of literally inestimable value, are first the substitution of four-year details from the line for permanent appointments in the so-called staff divisions, second, the establishment of a corps of artillery with a chief at the head, Third, the establishment of a maximum and minimum limit for the Army. It would be difficult to overestimate the improvement in the efficiency of our Army, which these three reforms are making, and have in part already effected. The reorganization provided for by the Act has been substantially accomplished. The improved conditions in the Philippines have enabled the War Department materially to reduce the military charge upon our revenue and to arrange the number of soldiers so as to bring this number much nearer to the minimum than to the maximum limit established by law. There is, however, need of supplementary legislation. Thorough military education must be provided, and in addition to the regulars, the advantages of this education should be given to the officers of the National Guard and others in civil life who desire intelligently to fit themselves for possible military duty. The officers should be given the chance to perfect themselves by study in the higher branches of this art. At West Point, the education should be the kind most apt to turn out men who are good in actual field service. Too much stress should not be laid on mathematics, 
nor should proficiency therein be held to establish the right of entry to a corps d'elite. The typical American officer of the best kind need not be a good mathematician, but he must be able to master himself, to control others, and to show boldness and fertility of resource in every emergency. Action should be taken in reference to the militia and to the raising of volunteer forces. Our militia law is obsolete and worthless. The organization and armament of the National Guard of the several states, which are treated as militia in the appropriations by the Congress, should be made identical with those provided for the regular forces. The obligations and duties of the Guard in time of war should be carefully defined, and a system established by law under which the method of procedure of raising volunteer forces should be prescribed in advance. It is utterly impossible in the excitement and haste of impending war to do this satisfactorily if the arrangements have not been made long beforehand. Provision should be made for utilizing in the first volunteer organizations called out the training of those citizens who have already had experience under arms, and especially for the selection in advance of the officers of any force which may be raised, for careful selection of the kind necessary is impossible after the outbreak of war. That the army is not at all a mere instrument of destruction has been shown during the last three years. In the Philippines, Cuba, and Puerto Rico, it has proved itself a great constructive force, a most potent implement for the upbuilding of a peaceful civilization. No other citizens deserve so well of the Republic as the veterans, the survivors of those who saved the Union. They did the one deed which, if left undone, would have meant that all else in our history went for nothing. But for their steadfast prowess in the greatest crisis of our history, all our annals would be meaningless, and our great experiment in popular freedom and self-government a gloomy failure. Moreover, they not only left us a united nation, but they left us also as a heritage the memory of the mighty deeds by which the nation was kept united. We are now indeed one nation, one in fact as well as in name. We are united in our devotion to the flag, which is the symbol of national greatness and unity. And the very completeness of our union enables us all, in every part of the country, to glory in the valor shown alike by the sons of the North and the sons of the South in the times that tried men's souls. The men who in the last three years have done so well in the East and the West Indies and on the mainland of Asia have shown that this remembrance is not lost. In any serious crisis, the United States must rely for the great mass of its fighting men upon the volunteer soldiery who do not make a permanent profession of the military career, and whenever such a crisis arises, the deathless memories of the Civil War will give to Americans the lift of lofty purpose which comes to those whose fathers who have stood valiantly in the forefront of the battle. The merit system of making appointments is, in its essence, as democratic and American as the common school system itself. It simply means that in clerical and other positions where the duties are entirely non-political, all applicants should have a fair field and no favor, each standing on his merits as he is able to show them by practical test. Written competitive examinations offer the only available means, in many cases, for applying this system. In other cases, as where laborers are employed, a system of registration undoubtedly can be widely extended. 
there are of course places where the written competitive examination cannot be applied and others where it offers by no means an ideal solution but where under existing political conditions it is though an imperfect means yet the best present means of getting satisfactory results wherever the conditions have permitted the application of the merit system in its fullest and widest sense the gain to the government has been immense the navy yards and postal service illustrate probably better than other branches of the government the great gain in economy efficiency and honesty due to the enforcement of this principle i recommend the passage of a law which will extend the classified service to the district of columbia or will at least enable the president thus to extend it in my judgment all laws providing for the temporary employment of clerks should hereafter contain a provision that they be selected under the civil service law it is important to have this system obtained at home but it is even more important to have it applied rigidly in our insular possessions not an office should be filled in the philippines or puerto rico with any regard to the man's partisan affiliations or services with any regard to the political social or personal influence which he may have at his command in short heed should be paid to absolutely nothing save the man's own character and capacity and the needs of the service the administration of these islands should be as wholly free from the suspicion of partisan politics as the administration of the army and navy all that we ask from the public servant in the philippines or puerto rico is that he reflect honor on his country by the way in which he makes that country's rule a benefit to the peoples who have come under it this is all that we should ask and we cannot afford to be content with less the merit system is simply one method of securing honest and efficient administration of the government and in the long run the sole justification of any type of government lies in its proving itself both honest and efficient the counselor service is now organized under the provisions of a law passed in eighteen fifty six which is entirely inadequate to existing conditions the interest shown by so many commercial bodies throughout the country in the reorganization of the service is heartily commended to your attention several bills providing for a new counselor service have in recent years been submitted to the congress they are based upon the just principle that appointments to the service should be made only after a practical test of the applicant's fitness that promotion should be governed by trustworthiness adaptability and zeal in the performance of duty and that the tenure of office should be unaffected by partisan considerations the guardianship and fostering of our rapidly expanding foreign commerce the protection of american citizens resorting to foreign countries in lawful pursuit of their affairs and the maintenance of the dignity of the nation abroad combine to make it essential that our council should be men of character knowledge and enterprise it is true that the service is now in the main efficient but a standard of excellence cannot be permanently maintained until the principles set forth in the bills heretofore submitted to the congress on this subject are enacted into law in my judgment the time has arrived when we should definitely make up our minds to recognize the indian as an individual and not as a member of a tribe the general allotment act is a mighty pulverizing engine to break up the tribal mass it acts directly upon the family and the individual under its provision some sixty thousand indians have already become citizens of the united states we should now break up the tribal funds 
doing for them what allotment does for the tribal lands that is they should be divided into individual holdings there will be a transition period during which the funds will in many cases have to be held in trust this is the case also with the lands a stop should be put upon the indiscriminate permission to indians to lease their allotments the effort should be steadily to make the indian work like any other man on his own ground the marriage laws of the indians should be made the same as those of the whites in the schools the education should be elementary and largely industrial the need of higher education among the indians is very very limited on the reservations care should be taken to try to suit the teaching to the needs of the particular indian there is no use in attempting to induce agriculture in a country suited only for cattle raising where the indian should be made a stock grower the ration system which is merely the corral and the reservation system is highly detrimental to the indians it promotes beggary perpetuates pauperism and stifles industry it is an effectual barrier to progress it must continue to a greater or less degree as long as tribes are herded on reservations and have everything in common the indian should be treated as an individual like the white man during the change of treatment inevitable hardships will occur every effort should be made to minimize these hardships but we should not because of them hesitate to make the change there should be a continuous reduction in the number of agencies in dealing with the aboriginal races few things are more important than to preserve them from the terrible physical and moral degradation resulting from the liquor traffic we are doing all we can to save our own indian tribes from this evil wherever by international agreement the same end cannot be attained as regards races where we do not possess exclusive control every effort should be made to bring it about i bespeak the most cordial support from the congress and the people for the st louis exposition to commemorate the one hundredth anniversary of the louisiana purchase this purchase was the greatest instance of expansion in our history it definitely decided that we were to become a great continental republic by far the foremost power in the western hemisphere it is one of three or four great landmarks in our history the great turning points in our development it is eminently fitting that all our people should join with heartiest goodwill in commemorating it and the citizens of st louis of missouri of all the adjacent region are entitled to every aid in making the celebration a noteworthy event in our annals we earnestly hope that foreign nations will appreciate the deep interest our country takes in this exposition and our view of its importance from every standpoint and that they will participate in securing its success the national government should be represented by a full and complete set of exhibits the people of charleston with great energy and civic spirit are carrying on an exposition which will continue throughout most of the present session of the congress i heartily recommend this exposition to the goodwill of the people it deserves all the encouragement that can be given it the managers of the charleston exposition have requested the cabinet officers to place thereat the government exhibits which have been at buffalo promising to pay the necessary expenses i have taken the responsibility of directing that this be done for i feel that it is due to charleston to help her in her praiseworthy effort in my opinion the management should not be required to pay all these expenses 
i earnestly recommend that the congress appropriate at once the small sum necessary for this purpose the pan-american exposition at buffalo has just closed both from the industrial and the artistic standpoint this exposition has been in a high degree creditable and useful not merely to buffalo but to the united states the terrible tragedy of the president's assassination interfered materially with its being a financial success the exposition was peculiarly in harmony with the trend of our public policy because it represented an effort to bring into closer touch all the peoples of the western hemisphere and give them an increasing sense of unity such an effort was a genuine service to the entire american public the advancement of the highest interests of national science and learning and the custody of objects of art and of the valuable results of scientific expeditions conducted by the united states have been committed to the smithsonian institution in furtherance of its declared purpose for the increase and diffusion of knowledge among men the congress has from time to time given it other important functions such trusts have been executed by the institution with notable fidelity there should be no halt in the work of the institution in accordance with the plans which its secretary has presented for the preservation of the vanishing races of great north american animals in the national zoological park the urgent needs of the national museum are recommended to the favorable consideration of the congress perhaps the most characteristic educational movement of the past fifty years is that which has created the modern public library and developed it into broad and active service there are now over five thousand public libraries in the united states the product of this period in addition to accumulating material they are also striving by organizations by improvement in method and by cooperation to give greater efficiency to the material they hold to make it more widely useful and by avoidance of unnecessary duplication in process to reduce the cost of its administration in these efforts they naturally look for assistance to the federal library which though still the library of congress and so entitled is the one national library of the united states already the largest single collection of books on the western hemisphere and certain to increase more rapidly than any other through purchase exchange and the operation of the copyright law this library has a unique opportunity to render to the libraries of this country to american scholarship service of the highest importance it is housed in a building which is the largest and most magnificent yet erected for library uses resources are now being provided which will develop the collection properly equip it with the apparatus and service necessary to its effective use render its bibliographic work widely available and enable it to become not merely a center of research but the chief factor in great cooperative efforts for the diffusion of knowledge and the advancement of learning for the sake of good administration sound economy and the advancement of science the census office as now constituted should be made a permanent government bureau this would ensure better cheaper and more satisfactory work in the interest not only of our business but of statistic economic and social science the remarkable growth of the postal service is shown in the fact that its revenues have doubled and its expenditures have nearly doubled within twelve years 
its progressive development compels constantly increasing outlay but in this period of business energy and prosperity its receipts grow so much faster than its expenses that the annual deficit has been steadily reduced from eleven million four hundred and eleven thousand seven hundred and seventy nine dollars in eighteen ninety seven to three million nine hundred and twenty three thousand seven hundred and twenty seven dollars in nineteen o one among recent postal advances the success of rural free delivery wherever established has been so marked and actual experience has made its benefits so plain that the demand for its extension is general and urgent it is just that the great agricultural population should share in the improvement of the service the number of rural routes now in operation is six thousand and nine practically all established within three years and there are six thousand applications awaiting action it is expected that the number in operation at the close of the current fiscal year will reach eight thousand six hundred the mail will then be daily carried to the doors of five million seven hundred thousand of our people who have heretofore been dependent upon distant offices and one-third of all that portion of the country which is adapted to it will be covered by this kind of service the full measure of postal progress which might be realized has long been hampered and obstructed by the heavy burden imposed on the government through the entrenched and well understood abuses which have grown up in connection with second-class mail matter the extent of this burden appears when it is stated that while the second-class matter makes nearly three-fifths of the weight of all the mail it paid for the last fiscal year only four million two hundred ninety four thousand four hundred and forty five dollars of the aggregate postal revenue of one hundred and eleven million six hundred and thirty one thousand one hundred and ninety three dollars if the pound rate of postage which produces the large loss thus entailed and which was fixed by the congress with the purpose of encouraging the dissemination of public information were limited to the legitimate newspapers and periodicals actually contemplated by the law no just exception could be taken that expense would be the recognized and accepted cost of a liberal public policy deliberately adopted for a justifiable end but much of the matter which enjoys the privilege rate is wholly outside of the intent of the law and has secured admission only through an evasion of its requirements or through lax construction the proportion of such wrongly included matter is estimated by postal experts to be one-half of the whole volume of second-class mail if it be only one-third or one-quarter the magnitude of the burden is apparent the post office department has now undertaken to remove the abuses so far as possible by a stricter application of the law and should be sustained in its effort owing to the rapid growth of our power and our interests on the pacific whatever happens in china must be of the keenest national concern to us the general terms of the settlement of the questions growing out of the anti-foreign uprising in china of nineteen hundred having been formulated in a joint note addressed to china by the representatives of the injured powers in december last were promptly accepted by the chinese government after protracted conferences the plenipotentiaries of the several powers were able to sign a final protocol with the chinese plenipotentiaries on the seventh of last september setting forth the measures taken by china in compliance with the demands of the joint note 
and expressing their satisfaction therewith it will be laid before the congress with a report of the plenipotentiary on behalf of the united states mr william woodville rockhill to whom high praise is due for the tact good judgment and energy is displayed in performing an exceptionally difficult and delicate task the agreement reached disposes in a manner satisfactory to the powers of the various grounds of complaint and will contribute materially to better future relations between china and the powers reparation has been made by china for the murder of foreigners during the uprising and punishment has been inflicted on the officials however high in rank recognized as responsible for or having participated in the outbreak official examinations have been forbidden for a period of five years in all cities in which foreigners have been murdered or cruelly treated and edicts have been issued making all officials directly responsible for the future safety of foreigners and for the suppression of violence against them provisions have been made for ensuring the future safety of the foreign representatives in peking by setting aside for their exclusive use a quarter of the city which the powers can make defensible and in which they can if necessary maintain permanent military guards by dismantling the military works between the capital and the sea and by allowing the temporary maintenance of foreign military posts along this line an edict has been issued by the emperor of china prohibiting for two years the importation of arms and ammunition into china china has agreed to pay adequate indemnities to the states societies and individuals for the losses sustained by them and for the expenses of the military expeditions sent by the various powers to protect life and restore order under the provisions of the joint note of december nineteen hundred china has agreed to revise the treaties of commerce and navigation and to take such other steps for the purpose of facilitating foreign trade as the foreign powers may decide to be needed the chinese government has agreed to participate financially in the work of bettering the water approaches to shanghai and to tientsin the centers of foreign trade in central and northern china and an international conservancy board in which the chinese government is largely represented has been provided for the improvement of the shanghai river and the control of its navigation in the same line of commercial advantages a revision of the present tariff on imports has been assented to for the purpose of substituting specific for ad valorem duties and an expert has been sent abroad on the part of the united states to assist in this work a list of articles to remain free of duty including flour wheat and rice gold and silver coin and bullion has also been agreed upon in the settlement during these troubles our government has unswervingly advocated moderation and has materially aided in bringing about an adjustment which tends to enhance the welfare of china and to lead to a more beneficial intercourse between the empire and the modern world while in the critical period of revolt and massacre we did our full share in safeguarding life and property restoring order and vindicating the national interest and honor it behooves us to continue in these paths doing what lies in our power to foster feelings of goodwill and leaving no effort untried to work out the great policy of full and fair intercourse between china and the nations on a footing of equal rights and advantages to all we advocate the open door with all that it implies 
not merely the procurement of enlarged commercial opportunities on the coast but access to the interior by the waterways with which china has been so extraordinarily favored only by bringing the people of china into peaceful and friendly community of trade with all the peoples of the earth can the work now auspiciously begun be carried to fruition in the attainment of this purpose we necessarily claim parity of treatment under the conventions throughout the empire for our trade and our citizens with those of all other powers we view with lively interest and keen hopes of beneficial results the proceedings of the pan-american congress convoked at the invitation of mexico and now sitting at the mexican capital the delegates of the united states are under the most liberal instructions to cooperate with their colleagues in all matters promising advantage to the great family of american commonwealths as well in their relations among themselves as in their domestic advancement and in their intercourse with the world at large my predecessor communicated to the congress the fact that the wheel and la habra awards against mexico have been adjudged by the highest courts of our country to have been obtained through fraud and perjury on the part of the claimants and that in accordance with the acts of the congress the money remaining in the hands of the secretary of state on these awards has been returned to mexico a considerable portion of the money received from mexico on these awards had been paid by the government to the claimants before the decision of the courts was rendered my judgment is that the congress should return to mexico an equal amount to the sums thus already paid to the claimants the death of queen victoria caused the people of the united states deep and heartfelt sorrow to which the government gave full expression when president mckinley died our nation in turn received from every quarter of the british empire expressions of grief and sympathy no less sincere the death of the empress dowager frederick of germany also aroused the genuine sympathy of the american people and this sympathy was cordially reciprocated by germany when the president was assassinated indeed from every quarter of the civilized world we received at the time of the president's death assurances of such grief and regard as to touch the hearts of our people in the midst of our affliction we reverently thank the almighty that we are at peace with the nations of mankind and we firmly intend that our policy should be such as to continue unbroken these international relations of mutual respect and goodwill End of section 4